Hi, I'm Bob Berg, co-author of The Go-Giver, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Have you ever wondered what having more influence could do for your business or personal life? Not the kind of sway that comes from having a title, but the ability to genuinely connect and gain the right to shift someone's perspective. My next guest, Bob Berg, understands this topic deeply. He's the author of The Go-Giver Influencer and offers a truckload of insights you could use to increase your influence with your team, with your key accounts, your strategic partners, and beyond. Bob shares such clear explanations for understanding another person's point of view, and he made me laugh when he said how we make decisions emotionally, then back them up sometimes with rational eyes. It's a terrific interview with a terrific man who wrote a terrific book, and I'm so glad you're here. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock their growth potential. Joining me today is Bob Berg. In their series of best-selling business parables, Bob Berg and co-author John David Mann challenge conventional wisdom about success. You've heard and seen by now the go-giver and the go-giver leader. Now they're back with a new and equally compelling story about the power of genuine influence in business and beyond. The go-giver influencer, a little story about a most persuasive idea, tackles the paradox of achieving what you want by focusing on the other person's interests. No, not in a way that's self-sacrificial, but rather in such a way that all parties benefit greatly. The results, this results in both immediate and long-term success. Bob Berg speaks all over the world in topics related to the go-giver, as well as what he calls genuine influence. While his total sales of books uh, total well over a million copies, his and man's original book has sold over 800,000 copies by itself and spurred an international movement. He facilitates academies for entrepreneurs and speakers who are interested in going deeper on this topic. He's based in Jupiter, Florida, and is here now to talk about the go-giver influence. Welcome, Bob. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. It's great talking with you. What's one thing you'd like to add to that brief intro to give us, to let us get to know you just a little better? Oh, I don't think there's a whole bunch. You, you did your research. That was great. Just began as a, a broadcaster, graduated into sales, and, and that's what really kind of got me going on personal development and you know, learning what business was all about. Well, since the go-giver influencer is our topic, who's someone who influenced or inspired you when you were growing up? Well, I was very fortunate to have two great parents who who really uh, have lived life in a way that was very, very much what uh, what I would refer to as a go-giver, right? You know, people who always look to bring value to others and while starting off, you know, very, you know, financially certainly not well off, were able to build a, a big business, not a big business, but a nice business by bringing great value to others. So, but really just just the way they have been as people has, has been very inspiring to me. And I've just been very fortunate too, that as I've as I got older and, and needed mentors or, or, or people I could go to for advice in different areas, people always seem to kind of show up at just the right times. Uh, I always took it upon myself to make sure to give value to them in whatever way I could and try to make it really worth their while. You know, I, I think when you do that, you, you attract people into your, into your life who you can mutually have benefit with. Bob, I know a lot of people who are listening to this show 
want to have a mentor. They want to have someone who has done what they want to do, mm -hmm. has developed those skills, and perhaps they're thinking they're, they couldn't possibly ask someone. When you asked one of your first mentors and were feeling maybe a little intimidated still, and maybe didn't know how you could add value back to balance the equation, What's a thought or an idea or something you did that gave you that courage to go ahead and, and make the request to that mentor? I think that when you approach someone who you would like to have as a, as a mentor, one of the big mistakes I see people make is they come right out and just ask, will you be my mentor? Right. And, you know, unless you already have a relationship with this person, doing that is, is sort of... Um, uh, you know, it's like asking somebody, hey, will you share 40 years of your experience with me even though you don't know me from a hole in the wall? It, it's presumptuous. And most people uh, are probably not going to take real kindly to that. Now, you can ask anyone, but I think the way you approach someone is is really what causes it to to happen or not. And so, to me, anyone who you but whether you know them well or hardly know them at all, or have even never met, you can always reach out to them regardless of the medium and just uh, let them know that you're an admirer of theirs. You're about to begin a business or you're, you know, wherever you happen to be. And I understand you're very busy and this may not be appropriate, but I would love to uh, maybe ask you one or two very specific questions. And when you do that, you're, you're letting this person know that you don't feel you're entitled to their time or to their, their wisdom. You're letting them know that you understand they're busy and that absolutely, and you're giving them the out. Absolutely, you would understand if they did not choose to do this for any reason. And you're also not just saying something very general, like I want to pick your brain. You're, you're saying, I'd love to ask you one or two very specific questions. And you'll find that most successful people, not all, but it doesn't have to be all, but most will be absolutely glad to, to answer that for you. And they'll say, sure, go right ahead. And now you can ask those questions. And of course, you want to research them enough that you don't ask anything that you could have found the answer to by, by just doing some, some work. Uh, but when you ask them the questions and they, they answer you and you let them know how much you appreciate it and you look forward to putting their advice into action. And then what I would do is as soon as you either get off the phone or out of that meeting or what, however it is that you've uh, been in touch, I would send a personalized handwritten note of thanks, just a short one that just says, you know, again, thank you so much for taking that time out of your very busy schedule. Please know how how valuable your advice was, and I look forward to applying it right away. You know, we'll check back in down the line and let you know how things are going. Boom. I would also find out what, and again, you can easily look this up online, find out what their favorite charitable cause is, and maybe make a small, doesn't have to be big, but just a small donation to that cause in their name. That will get back to them, and you're not doing it to kiss up or anything, but just to, to again, let them know you're communicating that I don't take this for granted. I realize this is a big thing that you did and I want to in some way be able to provide value to you. And remember, value is always in the eyes of the beholder. So they don't necessarily need you to do anything for them as much as just they want to know that you appreciate it. So I think that's a start. Then, you know, maybe a month or two weeks or whenever it happens to be naturally down the line, you might check back in, maybe ask another question, you know, find out what you can possibly do for them in any way to help them 
what have you, if that's appropriate, and you know, go for there. And if a mentor-protege relationship is supposed to develop, it will. But a mentor-protege relationship is just that. It's a relationship. It takes time to build, and it doesn't always happen. And sometimes it might be a person who is there for one or two questions or what have you, and so, or it might be someone who for the next 10 years is, is mentoring you. Who, who knows? But I, I think when we approach it that way, that's when we're really on the right path. Wow. That's like a masterclass in three minutes of how to seek out and, and cultivate a mentor relationship. <laughs> Bob, in there, you've actually described the go-giver philosophy. Can you distill it down in a sentence or two? Well, the actual philosophy itself, and this goes through any of the, uh, the four books that we have out on the topic, is simply that shifting your focus, and this is really the key, uh, shifting your focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving um, in this context, we're really just, we, we, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing value to others. And understanding that doing so is not only the, the nicest way or the most pleasant way of, of doing business, it's actually the most financially profitable way as well. Because, you know, let's face it, and I, yeah, often when I speak at a conference, I'll, uh, uh, a sales conference, I'll start out by, by saying, you know, nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. And we all laugh because we know that's exactly true, right? They're not going to buy from you because you need the money. And they're not even going to buy from you because you're a really nice person who believes in what you do. They're going to buy from you only because they believe they will be better off by doing so than by not doing so. And in a free market-based economy, which we live in, when I say free market, I simply mean no one is forced to do business with anyone else. They do so on their own volition. In a free market-based economy, that's the only reason why someone should buy from you or what have you, do business with you, join your company, what have you, because they believe they will be better off by doing so. So what that does is it, it, it creates the situation where the entrepreneur or the salesperson, what has you, we have to focus on bringing value to that other person, understanding that money is simply an echo of value which means our focus must be not on the money. Our focus must be on providing value to another human being or company, what have you. Uh, and the, the money we receive is simply a very natural and direct result of the value we've provided. Yes, the, and the focus on value in a way that the recipient understands the value because well, that's, that's, that's key. That's totally key because value, and, and remember, the, you know, the difference between price and value, price is a dollar figure. It's a dollar amount. It's finite. It is what it is. Value is different. Value is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something, to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea, philosophy, what have you, that this person values so much that they put such high worth on that they're, that they're, they're, they're not only willing but happy to exchange something for it. Usually in this case, we're talking about money, but also time or energy or opportunity cost or what have you. And the key part of that is, and you alluded to this beautifully, and that is that value is always in the eyes of the beholder. 
It's not what we think is a value about what we do or what we think they should think is a value about what we do. It's what they think is. And I'm just going to underscore that, Bob, because everyone's got to remember, it's not what we think they should value. It's what they actually value. (laughs) Exactly. And it's our job to find out because when you think about it, what is selling by definition? Selling is simply discovering what the other person wants, needs, or desires and helping them to get it. So let me give a quick synopsis of the story so that if people have read it, it jogs their memory. And if they haven't, it it encourages them to get into the story quickly so that they can really absorb these lessons as deeply as they come once you read through it. The Go-Giver Influencer is about two ambitious young business people, Jackson Hill and Jillian Waters. And they're in the midst of negotiating a business deal that is a turning point for both of them. They each encounter unlikely mentors who guide them to very different yet really effective ways of achieving their goals by finding common ground where there appears only to be a gap that can't be bridged. Now, that is a a setup almost of daily life for business owners, (laughs) 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 of of trying to make deals in ways that it seems like there are irreconcilable differences. Right. How is it that this is put into practice, especially in a, a world that's so sped up that people don't seem to share the same values and, and really people don't listen to each other as much as possible, as much as we have in the past. Mm-hmm. What really makes this work, Bob? Yeah. And the interesting thing is that in the story, Jillian and Jackson actually, you know, she, she and he each wanted what the other had. So mm-hmm. you'd think this would have been a business marriage made in heaven. And it turned out to be anything but that. It seemed like every time they met, they were further apart. And it's really because neither of them looked at what the other really needed or really wanted. Okay. What was at stake for that other person? They were really just thinking about themselves and their own needs. And they were nice people. Both of them were, but they were totally missing the, you know, the mark with one another. So the, the, really the first thing we need to do in, in any kind of business or personal, what have you situation is to, to master our emotions, control our own emotions. That's really where it all begins because it's only when we're in control of our own emotions that we're even in a position to be able to take a potentially negative situation or person and turn it into a win for everyone involved. Now, we know that. We all know that. And yet, how often do we allow our emotions to get away from us and control us, and we end up saying or doing something that is absolutely counterproductive to what we're looking to accomplish? We might say, well, why do we do that if we know better? And the reason is we're human beings. And as such, we're emotional beings. We're very, you know, we like to think we're logical. And to a certain extent, we are. But we are pretty emotion-driven. We make major decisions based on emotion. And we back up those emotional decisions with logic, right? We rationalize, which in a sense is to tell ourselves rational lies, And we do this in order to justify the emotional decisions or justify blowing our top or, or, you know, acting inappropriately when we knew that that was not the the right thing or the best, best thing to do. So now what we're not suggesting is that you forego your emotions or deny your emotions. First, it just, it, 
it's that would be contrary to human nature. It wouldn't work to do that. But there's also no reason to. Emotions are a great part of life. They're a wonderful part of life. They bring us joy. They make life worthwhile. No, we're just saying make sure that you are controlling your emotions rather than your emotions controlling you, or as my great friend Dondi Scumachi puts it, take your emotions along for the ride, but make sure you are driving the car. It's you behind the wheel. Your emotions are in the passenger seat, seatbelt securely fastened, where they can't do any damage. <laughs> That's fascinating because it is when the emotion, our emotions are passengers, they still get to inform, entertain, right. live in the trip, yet they don't, are not behind the wheel. <laughs> exactly. They, they, our emotions do bring us wisdom, absolutely, but they shouldn't be the decision maker. They're, they're like it, it, one, of the one of the mentors in the book, the judge, she told her, her protege that it, it's sort of like if you're a company you, you, you have the part of your mind that is the emotions, that's the board of directors, but you've also got the logical part, which is the CEO. And the CEO is certainly going to counsel with his or her emotions in order to get their wisdom, but the board of directors doesn't make the decision. The CEO makes the decision. That's the logical part of your mind. And to the degree that your decisions are made logically, that's the degree that you're creating the context where your decisions are, are usually good. They have a better chance of being right and thus a better chance of having the right result. And what's true for anyone who's gone beyond their comfort zone in order to build a business, in order to complete a book, in order to speak in front of an audience, everyone knows that you can't be limited by your emotions or would never step outside our comfort zone, which is where all the, you know, the great things happen. So one of the things that's true from the story, Walt, who is Jackson Hill's father, mm -hmm. he shared advice that seemed to reflect kind of the tried and true ways of <laughs> negotiating. And I was reading that and saying to myself, oh my gosh, if he takes this advice, this whole thing is going to blow up. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I thought it was, it was really great to have that character in there. And then what I thought was remarkable is that he was able to walk those points back later in the story. Yeah. And this is unusual in many business situations, especially where people are unwilling to lose face. What, what are the qualities or capacities that could be nurtured that make it easier to do this from your perspective, to be able to walk back bad advice when you look at it and say, you know what, this is what we, we got a, a kick out of doing. Or this is what we thought was going to work, but now we're faced with having to go in a different direction. Yeah, I mean, Walt sort of had to come to the conclusion that for all of his advice, which was, I guess you could say, old school, if you will, in, in, in nature, and it was the real kind of win-lose type of take-no-prisoners, when push came to shove, he, he had to kind of, he didn't have to, but he did, fortunately, admit to Jackson that while there were some victories, of course, there were also a lot of losses, and there were ones that, that, that he never really felt as though he got anywhere. By doing that, he, he kind of had a uh, you know, a moment where he said, you know, is that really the right way or is it just the way that I was taught? And so often that's how we live our lives. We come from different belief systems. This is why when we say for principle two, step into the other person's shoes, that's more difficult than you think because most of us have different sized feet, <laughs> right? We, we come from different belief systems. We see the world from different points of view in different ways. And as human beings, we tend to think that other people see the world the same way we do, and which is intuitive because how else could it be, right? It's the only thing we know. And so 
the last you know the last principle was let go of having to be right which sounds a little counterintuitive we're talking about influence right and we're saying but let go of having to be right does that mean you don't care about being right no of course not you want to be right and you certainly are going to prepare to be right but it also means that you're going to open your mind to other possibilities you're going to open your mind to other points of view which doesn't mean you have to agree with those points of view but you're going to open your mind to them just to give you additional thoughts upon which to base your your decisions and when you do that two wonderful things happen one is you allow yourself to go into learners mode and when you do that you're actually providing the context for for taking in more knowledge and actually knowing more this as opposed to the person who we see all too often today whether it's politics or anything else you know their mind is already made up don't bother confusing them with the facts <laughs> right and and this is you know confirmation bias we hear that right. term a lot now what does that really mean it simply means that when you come across some new information that confirms your already held beliefs or biases you accept them. But if they differ from your already held beliefs, you ignore them. Well, you can't grow that way because you can't learn anything that way. And so when you can be that person who allows yourself to be open, which again, doesn't mean you have to agree, but to be open, you can learn additional things and maybe you will change your mind. That, that's, that's fine too, if that's appropriate. But also when, when you're in a, a, whether it's a negotiation or a deal or, a, or what have you with someone else, and they can see, they sense that you're not just looking to win for the sake of winning, that you're not just looking to be right by making them wrong, but they realize instead that you are simply searching for the truth. Now they're much, much more likely to, to lose their defensiveness and to be much more open to your influence. That's right, because influence is a two-way street where you have to be willing to be influenced and people have to develop that um, like, know, and trust factor in order to be influenced. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I think, when, you know, when you, when you look at it from a, a very basic level, influence is simply the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. That's the definition, but it's not really the, the substance or the essence of influence. The essence of influence is pull, uh, pull as opposed to push. You know, we've all heard the saying, how far can you push a rope? And the answer is not very far, at least not very fast or very effectively, which is why great influencers don't push. They, they pull. Influence is pull. It's an attraction. Great influencers attract people first to themselves and only then to their ideas. And again, they do this through that shift in focus, right? They, they ask themselves questions such as, how does what I'm asking this person to do, how does it align with their goals? How does it align with their needs, wants, and desires? How does what I want this other person to do or think or feel, what have you, how does it align with their values? And when we ask ourselves these questions thoughtfully, intelligently, uh, genuinely, authentically, not as a way to manipulate another person to do our will, but as a way of building everyone in the process, now we've come a lot closer to earning that person's commitment as opposed to trying to depend on some type of 
compliance. You shared the perspective in the book that everyone is a superhero, whether they know it or not. Can you share what makes that such a useful perspective? It's recognizing your strengths. And we also have to recognize our weaknesses, of course, too, right? And yeah. there are some weaknesses that we can, well, there are some weaknesses we can ignore. There are other weaknesses we need to mitigate. And there are some weaknesses that we need to actually take from being a weakness and turn them into a strength in order to be as productive as we, as we can. But what we really want to do is also understand our strengths. And this can be kind of difficult because, again, we're human beings, right? And as human beings, we're so emotionally involved with ourselves that sometimes it's really difficult to, to see what we do that's so special. I can't tell you how often I've been mentoring or coaching someone and they told me what they were doing and I said, wonderful, that, that's great. And they said, oh, no, no, everyone can do that. And they, they weren't being falsely modest in any way. They really didn't see that what they did or what they brought to the table, the kind of value they had to offer was so special. Uh, you know, why not? Well, maybe it's something they've always done, so it's natural to them. And again, we, we kind of see the world through our eyes or for whatever reason. But this is one reason why, by the way, that people often, many entrepreneurs, many salespeople, they undercharge, they, they discount too fast, right? Mm -hmm. They they sell on, try to sell on low price rather than high value. And that's what we want people to do because when, you know, when, unless your last name is Walmart or maybe even amazon.com, trying to make low price your unique selling proposition is not a productive, profitable, or fun way to do business. When, you're a, when you sell on price, you're a commodity. When you sell on value, you're a resource. And we want people to be trusted resources, we want them making more money on what they're selling and providing such exceptional value throughout the entire process that people feel great about doing business with them. You can only do that when you understand what a superstar you are. And that's so true in so many contexts. And I remember reading the book and literally cheering when you highlighted a small language change that a waitress made where right. she says, my pleasure, instead of no problem. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that's really important to recognize because so often business owners and entrepreneurs feel, well, if I'm adding more value, that's going to cut into my profit margin. And that's not true. First of all, I'm sure that you're familiar with, with Deming's work that shows that when you make investments in quality, it multiplies the profitability on the back end. Language doesn't cost a thing, maybe some training, but it really helps you bond and develop those relationships that form fabulous businesses and fabulous communities. Well, you're exactly right. There, there are two aspects, too, of the product or service. There's the intrinsic value, and that is simply the, the natural value that your product or service brings based on what it's supposed to bring, okay? If you're an accountant, part of the value you bring is to save people money on their taxes, okay? If you sell a software program, the intrinsic value is to do what it's supposed to do through that program. But it's the extrinsic value that really makes the difference. Because remember, if a prospective customer or client sees no significant difference between any two or more products or services, they're always naturally gonna go with who has the lowest price. This is where extrinsic value comes in. This is the value you bring over and above the intrinsic value of your product or service that makes doing business with you so desirable, okay? And there are probably hundreds of ways to communicate that extrinsic or additional 
value, they tend to come down to five what we call elements of value. And those five are excellence, consistency, attention, empathy, and appreciation. And to the degree that you and your team members are able to communicate one or more, hopefully all five of those elements of value at every single touch point throughout the process, uh, that's the degree that you take your competition and price out of the equation. And those factors, again, are excellence, consistency, attention, empathy, and appreciation. Those are things that everyone listening can adopt in and really review with their senior management teams to find ways to emphasize and amplify within their organizations. So I'm so glad you mentioned that, Bob. Thank Tell you. me, are you ready for the, my quest for the best lightning round? Well, I don't know if I'm ready, but I will give it my best shot. <laughs> ready or not, here we go. Here we go. So what are the key components of your routine for daily success? I think that I, I have a routine down. I think that's the biggest thing. And I could tell you the routine, but I don't think my routine is better than anybody else's routine. I think what helps is that it's a routine. So I know what I expect of myself every day. And I, I do it because I've created the environment where it's pretty much the only thing I can do. Wow, those were three really big nuggets. First of all is having a routine is the difference maker, knowing what to expect from yourself and meeting those expectations, and then creating an environment. Wow. Bob, tell me, what's your favorite way to get unstuck? Do you have a, a tool or system you use for staying on track and productive? I really don't. And I, I think the only way that you, you get unstuck is you just, you just keep moving. I mean, there's, I've never found a, a better way. And when did you know in your business, as you look back on it, that you'd turned a corner and you were going to achieve a, a level of success and influence and impact that was beyond what you had expected? It, it might have been a book contract. It might have been a particular speech. It might have been some sort of relationship formed. Well, I'd had a good speaking career. Uh, I mean, I had my ups and downs, certainly, like any business, but, you know, it had a had, had a successful speaking career. And then when the uh, Go-Giver came out back in the very end, the last couple of days of 2007, but really 2008 when it started, you know, getting out there, um, once we saw that this thing was going to hit big, and it, it did kind of fast, actually, and things usually don't happen that fast, at least for me, they don't usually happen that fast, but this one took off right away, and, and it's never stopped. I, I kind of got the feeling at that point that that was going to change things. And what would you say is the biggest misconception about influence that you could share a better perspective on for us to use now? I think the biggest misperception about influence is 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 that you get it by pushing your will onto others and you don't it goes right back to it being attraction you uh, again assuming that we're talking about about moral influence as opposed to positional influence because remember you can have a title right you can lead through a title or an influence through a title you can be the manager or the the supervisor or the owner and let's face it there's some people they've got to do what you say the employee knows if they want any chance of of promotion or advancement or a raise or to not get punished or disciplined or fired they've got to do what the you know what they're told well that's compliance and it's not that kind of influence is simply not sustainable not to mention that there's a good chance that those people who you're you're forcing your ideas upon are going to sabotage you you know in chance they can they can get so i think that that's a misconception that influence is about the the uh the power, the force that you can apply. Both short-term and sustainable influence is a matter of serving others. 
It's moving from what we call an I focus or me focus to an other focus, looking for ways that you can, as Sam, one of the mentors in the original Go-Giver story told Joe, the protege, making your win all about the other person's win. Well, Bob, I have to say, you have shared so many great ideas with us today on, on my quest for the best. You've Thank talked you. about how to reach out to people and shift the focus from getting to giving and providing value to others. We talked about the some of the plot in The Go-Giver Influencer and how it was so surprising at the end how it turned out because it seemed like an irreconcilable gulf that they were facing. And we talked about belief systems and stepping into other people's shoes, letting go of having to be right, and you know how to align with other people's goals as being a real, it's not just a science, it's an art of being able to do that. And then you helped us understand the distinctions between intrinsic and extrinsic value. So many great ideas. And you also brought up in your book, and I'll share this too, that you, you pointed out that gracious and gratitude both come from the same Latin root, gratia, which is to favor. And you favored us with your ideas and your perspectives today. So I thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Bill. It was a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. How can we find out more about your work online? And then we'll get a parting thought and uh, we'll say goodbye. Probably the best way is just to go to The Go Giver, uh, without the hyphen, thegogiver.com. And as they scroll down, they can find out more about joining the Go Giver movement and they can get chapters of the uh, various books to see if they like the books. They can look for information on our uh, certified Go-Giver speaking program or Go-Giver Entrepreneurs Academy and so forth. It's all there at thegogiver.com. And what parting words would you like to share with listeners as we conclude this interview? Well, you know, I, I think it's as a person said to me, I was a couple of years into my sales career and I was doing well, but certainly not living up to my potential. And really it, it had to do with, with where my focus was. And I remember a kind of one of those wise old codgers took me aside and said, Berg, if you want to make a lot of money in sales or business, actually he said sales, he said, don't have making money as your target. Your target, he said, is serving others. Now, when you hit the target, you'll get a reward. And that reward, he said, will come in the form of money. And, but never forget, the money is simply the reward for hitting the target. It ain't the target itself. Your target is serving others. And once I grasped that and received that uh, and lived that, my sales just totally took off. Bob Berg, author of The Go-Giver Influencer, thank you again so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Hi, this is Bill. Before you go, I just want to ask you a quick favor. If you've enjoyed this interview on My Quest for the Best, I'd love it if you'd go to iTunes, look up My Quest for the Best, and subscribe. I want to make sure you don't miss the very next episode we have coming up. We've got a lineup of terrific guests, and I know that if you enjoyed this one, you'll like what you find coming up soon. Also, feel free to give it a comment, a like, because we work hard to put these interviews together, and I appreciate making sure that we're reaching you and serving you in the, the best way possible. I look forward to reading your comments and catch you on the next interview. Thanks so much.